Hello, I'm Sam Clement, and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a Picture House podcast, proudly supported by Kia, the champion of independent cinemas nationwide, which is excellent news, as on this podcast, we will be discussing a host of brilliant new movies coming to your local Picture House cinema this July. On this episode, I'll be joined by two fantastic guest film critics uh, to talk about these new releases. We won't be able to talk about every film coming out in July, but we will be talking about the cream of the crop, some of our favourites, and I couldn't think of two better people for that job than returning film critic Amon Warman, who you may have heard on our episode a couple of months ago talking to director Sam Raimi. Uh, it's great to have Amon back on the show. And joining us for the first time, we've got Victoria Thomas, uh, a fantastic podcast film critic and a filmmaker in her own right. There's more details uh, about her uh, own work at the end of the show, so so do check that out. So I'm just here to do the admin bitch, really, and the links and the setups. And Amon and Victoria will be talking about our five new films. Five! We've never done five on this show before. It's quite, <laughs> it's quite, it's a, it's a, it's a packed agenda, and, uh, but we've got the right people on the job. So that's very good. We're also joined in and amongst the reviews. We'll have an interview with director Jim Archer, who will be talking about his brand new film, Brian and Charles with Amon. So that's all to come. But first up... Let's hear what Amon and Victoria think of our first movie of the month, Justin Kurzel's Nitram, which is in cinemas right now. The man was a misfit, a loner, an oddball, a weirdo. All right, so you've um, seen Nitram which obviously has got a lot of controversy behind it. Yeah, no, I I liked it. Um, it's a dramatization of the events leading up to that Port Arthur massacre on April 1996 in Australia, which is the thing that changed all the gun laws in that country. The gunman is played by Caleb Landry-Jones uh, in this film, and it's an incredible performance. You know, so often when we talk about acting and performances, we're talking about how much they're emoting and how that is causing us to sort of feel emotions watching that sort of stuff on screen. I think in many ways, playing somebody who's a little bit off and who's a little bit detached and who's a little bit emotionless is actually a more difficult challenge. And Caleb Landry Jones is absolutely incredible in that regard. And I really liked what they did in terms of showing his journey, showing the systems and the people that aren't in place to help him at critical times that might have had an impact on him not doing what he did. It's a really tricky line this film has to thread between being sympathetic towards the gunman, but also just showcasing what I said in terms of here is what happened, here are the things that caused him to act this way, at least to a point. And I feel like the film walks that tightrope very, very well. Um, in addition to Caleb Landry Jones, you've got Antonila Paglia as his father and Judy Davis as his mother. I think both of those performances are really, really good. The way in which they interact with Martin, with Nitram in this film is really, really interesting because the father is more of a hands-off person and his mother really can't hide her contempt for uh, her son. And that leads to obviously certain decisions throughout the film, which are interesting. Then the third person you've got, who's the other big part of this film is Essie Davis. 
as a wealthy woman who comes into contact with Martin, sort of takes him uh, and shelters him. That's a really interesting relationship as well. It's very, very unconventional. You can tell that this woman is very, very lonely. It's strange to a point, but it absolutely works when you watch the film. We should mention that this film, you know, obviously it's about the massacre to a point, but it doesn't show the violence. And I think that was a really, really smart choice on behalf of the filmmaker, Justin Kozel because this is not a film that needs that. It's about the events leading up to that. And they really sort of made sure that the focus stays on that throughout the film. Yeah, I guess, I mean, without trying to police, you know, creativity, because I think it definitely is a place for every story. Uh, because obviously, um, I know, like, I think the Screen Australia Screen Tasmania, I know that they kind of declined to fund the film and everybody was really trying very hard to stop the film from getting made, but then it ended up winning, like, all these awards. I think it's that thing as well of... Um, if this story was being told, should it have been told from the perspective of like the victims? Like, do you think this there was a focus on trying to humanize um, the murderer effectively? No, I don't think there was a focus there on humanization. Again, I think it's more about the structures and the people and the interactions that he's having and how they are not in place to help prevent something like this, or at least they weren't at that time. That is more what I took away from this film rather than we are being sympathetic to the gunman, we're humanising the gunman. I didn't really get that sort of sense. I don't think that's what the filmmakers were going for with this one. And rightfully so. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before. So that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. Thank you, Victoria, and thank you, Amon, for your thoughts on Nitram, a powerful piece of work that will stay with you for hours, days, weeks, maybe, after seeing at the cinema. I think Justin Kurzel makes such powerful work that uh, kind of demands to be seen on the big screen it's so engrossing up next a film that comes out at the very end of the month on the 29th of july sarah dosa's brand new documentary fire of love entirely constructed of archive glorious archive footage uh, from real life volcanologists and narrated by Miranda July, the wonderful actor, director, artist, performer, author, woman of many hats, um, Miranda July, uh, who provides narration. But Sarah Dosa's doc was a real hit at Sundance, and we're really pleased to be bringing this one to the cinemas. Uh, Victoria saw this film, so I'll pass over to Victoria and Amon. This is Katya, and this is Maurice. Tomorrow will be their last day. They will leave behind hundreds of hours of footage, thousands of photos, and a million questions. So, Victoria, what is The Fire of Love about? I have not seen this one, but I'm hearing so many good things. 
Educate me. Yeah, so this is from Sundance. You know, they're quite good with um, finding these films from filmmakers that nobody's ever really heard of before, and then it turns out to be a masterpiece. Um, it's a documentary, actually. It's not a fiction film. There's a parallel narrative going on because it's the, it follows the life of a husband and wife, but they're also volcanologists. Um, Katia and Maurice Kraft, I believe they're French. And these are two people who discovered very early on in life that they had this passion for <laughs> volcanoes and they literally put everything in their life on hold including decided that they didn't want to have kids and they're just going to get married and go around the world tracking volcanoes as you do yeah as you do <laughs> so i mean you know so it's really a, a film about a relationship you know it's a romantic relationship but it's also a professional relationship um the guy is a bit more reckless than the the woman and so they're on this journey and so you're basically following them through life through love and through work and and the, and the thing I like about it is that, you know, when I first heard about the film, it's like people following volcanoes. It's like, why on earth would I watch that? <laughs> but then when you watch it, because also quite um, interestingly, the film was shot by them because this is archive footage that was found. So the documentary is purely archive. And then there's a narration by Miranda July. And so they shot on film and they didn't consider themselves filmmakers, but the cinematography is probably one of the most beautiful things about the film. And I know normally when you comment on the cinematography, it's almost like a nod to the fact that the film is not good, but that's not <laughs> what's going on in this case. The footage is really amazing. And having worked with Archive Documentary myself, I think the filmmaker did an inch, a really amazing job of crafting this beautiful narrative about love and work and commitment, you know, purely from archive footage. Mm. Wow, that sounds amazing. Um, you mentioned sort of the, I guess the two strands of this are the professional and the romantic. How does one dovetail with the other and enhance the other? Again, I think that's where the brilliance of the director comes in because it's one of those films where when you're watching it, I think when you start off initially, you don't quite know what it is. But she kind of really interweaves both because obviously as partners, they're very united in their craft, but they're also very um, committed to each other. But at the same time, of course, they experience the same, I guess, the the sort of conflicts that you'll have in any relationship, but, you know, they can't just go home <laughs> and away from work because you're going home to your colleague. So you see this sort of interplay, almost like between um, work and play all the time, but it's so, um, it's so nuanced and it's so subtle that it ends up being more of a love story rather than a film about volcanoes. I love that. I love that. And you mentioned it's just purely archival footage. I mean, it takes a lot of skill to craft a film just purely using that. How, how do they do that? I mean, how do they even sort of structure that? And what does the narration add to that? Um, is it is it sort of is it frequent or is it sort of very sort of subtle? It's not very frequent at all. But also one of the things I liked about this narration because I hate narrated documentaries largely because at times I feel like the narration is trying to tell me what to think. But what they really did with this was the narration did a job of threading the archives without actually giving anything away. So it wasn't sort of like dumbing down the narrative. Like there was enough room for you as the audience to process what was going on and take away what you could you were taking away from it. And I'm, I almost feel like depending on where you're at, everybody's going to take away something different from that, from that film. I probably took away the relationship because I was probably not as much of a, you know, a volcanologist, <laughs> you know, but probably somebody who is more into science, you know, is gonna probably gonna take something away because they also made some really fascinating discoveries which are affecting us today and helping us today in terms of the um, challenges with the environment. Victoria, I mean, I've just, I'm, I'm shocked that you're not a volcanologist. You look like the type. I just, I, I don't know what to do with that. 
I don't know what to do with that. Science was the one thing I hated with a passion in school. <laughs> Thank you both for that one. I think Fire of Love is the documentary to beat of 2022. It's a bold claim, but hey, we're in July. I feel qualified now to make such a statement. I'd love to be proved wrong. I'd love to to see you know five more, ten more documentary films that are that are better than this one. But this this is a really special film, and uh, the uh, that, that footage is amazing. It looks so good on the big screen. So do check out Fire of Love when it opens at Picture Out Cinemas on the 29th of July. And now for something almost completely different. Uh, it is another film from Sundance. Our next film is Brian and Charles, but this is a British comedy film about a man who builds a robot and uh, and the, the, the friendship that ensues it's a it's a glorious film it's so funny and it's heartwarming and and it's so nice to see something like this in cinemas you know a, a quirky uh, british film which uh, you know it's all it's all sort of fairly low budget but it's really well meaning and it's so brilliantly put together i loved it uh, the character of charles petrescu the robot character in this film uh, is an icon, will be an icon, and and I hope we see more adventures uh, with Brian and Charles. But anyway, that's getting ahead of ourselves. We haven't even talked about the first one yet. So uh, here's Amon and Victoria talking about Brian and Charles, which is in cinemas right now. And after Victoria and Amon review the film, we'll cut straight to Amon's interview with director of the film, Jim Archer. My name's Brian. This is my infamous inventions pantry. It's actually a cow shed. Things went a bit topsy-turvy in my life. I was very alone. Ah, fiddlesticks. That's when I just started making stuff. Uh, Brian and Charles, so what's the word on the street? I've been hearing a lot about it. Bromance. <laughs> <laughs> Bromance is the word. I love this film. It's really, really good. It's, uh, it follows uh, Brian... Uh, who's this this lonely inventor in in, in Wales? Uh, he just spends his days building these weird contraptions, and not a lot of them work very well. He is just gonna keep on keeping on and trying for the next one. And I love that sort of that indefatigable spirit that he has is just great. Um, and he one day he decides to take on this really big project which is to make a robot. And he gets this washing machine and various spare parts. And one day the robot comes to life and it's Charles. Um, and yeah, he learns English from a dictionary. He has an obsession with cabbages. It's a very simple premise, but for my money, it might be the best British comedy of the year. I really, really dug it. And as you say, the key is the bromance between Brian and Charles. It's really gentle. It's really sweet, but it's also very very funny uh at multiple points so yeah i i really had a blast with it have you seen the short because i think it, it was adapted from a short film right that is correct i have not seen the short uh but yeah i'm i'm glad they made it into a full-length film um because there's a lot which they i believe have added to i've, I've read about the short and they, they added the, the hazel character they've really sort of fleshed out they added the bullies which come in later on in the film uh that the, the bullies element is the one element of this film where I was a bit like, huh, because it really just, it, feel, it feels a touch lazy in the way in which they add it to it because it really does feel very one note. We're only adding it specifically for conflict uh, for Brian in this movie. Um, but this film is still ultimately about Brian becoming a better version of himself. And I really enjoyed 
them going on that journey with the character. Uh, so that was great. And I, I, I also really liked the relationship between Brian and Hazel. They're both extremely shy. Uh, so, you know, building a love story with characters who both have that demeanor, it's, it just makes it automatically different. But just because they're both shy, just because they don't use a lot of words, doesn't mean that you don't feel the connection between them. It's really, really beautiful in that way. Um, now, me being me, i got to talk about the score a little bit because Daniel Pemberton did the score for this and it's so perfect for this movie. It's very, very lo-fi, but it absolutely works. And to that point, everyone listen to this. If you are going to watch Brian and Charles, and you should, stay through the credits for the rap. That is what I'm going to say. There's a rap that Charles does. And by the way, I can't believe I've even mentioned this yet. Charles Petrescu, he, th he talks like this. I am Charles Petrescu. It's really endearing <laughs> somehow. It feels weird when you first hear it, but it really, really works. Um, and yeah, just th that entire character is just so, so, so much fun to hang out with. Um, you know, it's really about the journey that he goes on as well because he's curious He's naive. He's wanted to discover more about the world. And Brian becomes his parent who has to sort of, you know, figure all of that out. And then can he let him go? Has he sort of, you know, learned enough from him? Have they learned enough from each other on this journey that they've been on? It's really, really beautifully put together. I mean, I am that person in the cinema who frowns at people that walk out before the credits. I do not get why you would do that. <laughs> but um, I mean, I'm really excited about this one. You know, it's probably not the right forum to say this, but it won the audience award at Sundance. And I always root for films that the audience like, not so much the ones that the juries like at film festivals. So I have, um, I'm really keen to see it. And obviously being from the regions as well, I know it's a Welsh film. We don't normally see films from Wales. You know, so I'm hoping that, it, you know, a lot of people really go out and see it because there's definitely a lot of um, great um, buzz about it. So I know that uh, this was an expansion from the short movie, which came out in 2017. Was it always your plan to make this into a feature? No, it wasn't. No, not at all. Especially when we like went into the, when we went into like shooting the short, it really was just like, we're going to make a short film. Um, I, I'd made a couple of short films already and... I think David, Chris, and Rupert, uh, Rupert's the producer, just, I think they wanted to just get something down on tape because they were like, we've got this weird robot thing and they were like, we're, they were worried someone else was going to copy it. So just like, let's just film something and we'll put it on YouTube and that'll be it. We'll get like 300 views or something. But I think it was when we like made it, when we make it, we are like, this is fun. Oh, it could be a feature if you just stayed here for, for like, for a few more weeks. But it, to be honest, it really wasn't until it came out in, at the end of 2017 and we got like this sort of like way more reaction than we thought we would to it, that um, the sort of feature idea started to become a bit more like firmly implanted. Mm -hmm. And once you committed to that feature, what elements from the short movie did you uh, sort of want to expand on? Yeah, I mean, the things we wanted to keep, so we're like, it was a lot about kind of isolation and loneliness and their kind of, and some of the things in there, like the way they kind of, just their general interactions, like the sort of sweetness and the bickering that was in there. But we kind of thought that the actual, the actual story of the short didn't quite work at, to stretch it out into something else. You kind of need to like take the elements of it and take the sort of the vibe, if you will, <laughs> and then like and then just transport it somewhere else, like and just like build the character, build a few more characters around Brian and like. Yeah, add, add an antagonist, a love interest, all that sort of thing. Um, but uh, I think the sort of 
the core kind of comedy and sort of heart is the same in both films. Mm. And I believe the short was shot in more of a documentary format, whereas this one takes on some mockumentary ideas in addition to everything else. How tricky was it to find the balance between those things? Yeah, so we, we sort of like, I mean, both both the both the sort of documentary style, I guess, I guess both are mockumentary, um, really, but like, uh, we sort of, with the feature, we wanted to just, I guess there are things that I'd seen in mockumentaries that were like, a bit kind of, that felt a bit old hat to me, a bit like lots of talking heads, and, and lots of kind of like, lots of looks to camera, lots of this sort of stuff that when I actually, when you actually watch documentaries now, a lot of them don't do that at all. I mean, some don't do any talking heads. We like we took a lot of um, inspiration from a film called American Movie, um, which is I think it's from the nineties or early two thousands, which is just sort of following this guy who's making a film. But it's you know those kind of films where just like the cameras just with the characters all the time. They're just like and it, and it, after a while it just sort of like comes. It almost goes into the wall. Like it sort of becomes like it is there, but everyone is so used to the camera being around, they just don't even notice it anymore. So like we wanted to like have this element at the start where it's much more kind of it's there. There's Brian talks to camera a lot more, but then it sort of slightly takes a step back, and it almost goes into a narrative film. But we never like broke that rule. We always like kept it so that you know it, it feels like it should it could be shot by a documentary crew, but we just didn't put too much um, importance on it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, normally, when people make a film, uh, one of their main cast members can see and here. Uh, you did not have that luxury when it comes to Charles in this movie. What are the, some of the unique challenges that come with that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think we'd like, the more I've like, talked about this and heard Chris talk about it, who plays Charles, I realised, oh, he had a really tough time. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I, like I, I knew he was like, he would be like a, a complaining a bit now and then, but you know, when it was like raining and windy, we're like, oh, you're in your little box, it's great. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was hard. It was a sort of a problem which we tried to solve for a bit. We're like, oh, maybe we could put like a little camera that we could like poke out the top or something, or like we could somehow make the shirt translucent. But yeah, it never it never worked. So yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, most of the challenges were like keeping Chris happy, and uh, and also just guiding him in the right direction. Like he can sort of walk in in a straight line and know vaguely where he's going, but like. When he's navigating through the house and the small corridors, like he would be bumping into stuff and David would have to guide him around. <laughs> I think that all of that kind of adds to it in the end. Like that's sort of the way that sort of Brian does hold Charles's hand a lot and does kind of care for him. I think just all works and fits into the story nicely. How much of the blooper reel is just Charles bumping into stuff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably is quite. I mean, I, I think things that might have been bloopers in other films are actually just in our film. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, as we wrap up, Brian and Charles will be playing in UK cinema soon. What is it that you love about the cinema experience? Oh, just just the sort of, especially with comedy, just the, the shared kind of like wave of enjoyment that you get. Like having watched it in a cinema, a packed cinema last night at Sundance, it's just like you do just get these little pockets that just sort of start rippling with something and that spreads. And just that, like, especially those big moments, like this sort of, there's a moment last night where people sort of, like, clapped it a little bit and all kind of gasped. And, like, you just, 
that just elevates your feeling as well. Even if, like, because I, you know, I know that's going to happen that moment. I've made the film, but still, I get that feeling of just like, you know, of just sort of a burst of excitement again by seeing it with an audience. So, like, yeah, there's no, there's no other experience like it. Also, you just get to see it on a huge screen, which is like you don't get that at home. You really, really don't. Not unless you're super rich with an awesome TV. <laughs> yeah. I've only got a 50 inch, but I like it. I know, I've been to other people's houses and they've got like just ridiculous size TVs, and it's awesome. Yeah, but you haven't got a you haven't got a picture house screen one anyway. <laughs> Not yet. The opportunity <laughs> being yet, but until that time, Jim Archer. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Brian and Charles had its UK premiere at the Sundance Film Festival London, where it won the prestigious Audience Award. It was the audience's favourite film of that festival, of the the you know, 12 or 15 or so films that we played over that weekend. So from one Audience Award winner to another, did you like that segue? <laughs> <laughs> up next is Hit the Road, uh, also in cinemas at the end of July, 29th of July, and winner of uh, the big prize at the London Film Festival uh, last year when it had its UK premiere. Hit the Road is the new film from Pana Panahi, and oh wow, this film is remarkable. I love a road movie, and, uh, and it's rare, I think, in the UK to get access to Iranian cinema on the big screen, but especially a road movie showing off the country. It's glorious, glorious characters, really well staged. And and the surroundings, you know, feels like you were there. Up next, we've got Victoria talking to Amon about Hit the Road. Victoria, I'm going to ask you to hit the road, Jack. And don't you come back no more, no more, no more. I'll, I'll, start, I'll stop. But there's a film out <laughs> called Hit the Road. What is it about? Well, it's literally a family hitting the road. <laughs> <laughs> My question has been asked and answered. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> it, you know, it's a, it's a film from Iran. And if you're familiar with Iranian cinema, you know that they're very, um, they're, their staple is um, road trips. So this is a, it's, it's a film, a family of four um, on a road trip. And you don't really know where they're heading. And it starts off as a very, I think you almost kind of feel like it's one of those like, you know, family disaster movies. You know, it's a mother, the husband, the oldest son and the, 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 the youngest child who is super annoying. Like I would not <laughs> want to be in a car <laughs> with that kid. <laughs> but at the same time, the kid carries the movie. So... You so you literally are following them on this journey, and it's the the destination unfolds through the conversation. Okay, and like and it's it's a bit slow, so you kind of have to really be patient with it because I think the pacing for me was it kind of dragged a bit. But if you're patient with it and you get to the end, it's it's actually quite rewarding when it's slowly revealed why they they are on the road, and where they're going. And one of the things I like about it is like as filmmakers, we always you have to pick a box. Like if you have to either make a comedy or you have to make a tragedy, et cetera, et cetera. And what I like about this film is that it does blend comedy. A comedy effectively um, evolves into a little bit of a tragedy, you know, and it does so in a very comfortable way, which is life, you know, at times the way you start out is not how, you know, things unfold or end and it's quite difficult to predict. Well, it's literally four people in a car on the road and so you're going on this journey with them. If I tell you the specifics, I'll spoil it and I don't want to do that for anybody. 
Well, thank what? you, Victoria. I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, seriously, because this, this, this sounds like an interesting film. I think, you know, much of this road, maybe there's four people in the car. I think with a movie like this, it's all about the dynamics between who's in the car and how they feed off of one another. So how is, you know, that, I say that aspect of the film, that is the film in a nutshell. How does that work and how, how, how well do they bounce off each other? Because it's that very stereotypical family where you have a sulky son <laughs> and then you have a father who is just a little bit entitled at the back, barking out orders. And then you have the mother who is clearly trying to keep the family together and try not to lose the plot. And then you have the little child who is just completely oblivious to it all and in their own world and annoying everybody. But what you also have is a family dog, which they're trying to get rid of. And the dog keeps coming back every time they abandon the dog. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, I mean, it's like, I don't know whether if you've seen like Locke, it, it's one of those things where if you- Yeah, if yeah, you, yeah. If, the Tom Hardy film, right? Yeah, Tom Hardy film. If you read it on paper, it's not supposed to work. There's four people on a car, they're going on a journey as a family. And they're all a bit odd. Um, but somehow the the way the writing is done, the dynamic, the dynamics really set up the film and I guess evolves into a very wooden drama. You know, but the the director, I know it was a film from Cannes, I believe it was Director's Fortnight. But the the director, his father is also a well-known um Iranian director. Um so he's definitely come from that classical cinema background and um, and I know his dad was also working for an, another a major director but it's again it's quite um it's kind of well shot most of it is like it's outside but it's slow that's that that's the only thing I would say about the um that's the downside it's like the pacing it's not the greatest so you have to be patient with it so I think so far on this podcast we've served up a very well balanced meal of independent cinema and world cinema, things that have had festival premieres and have won audience awards. So let's move it up a gear, guys. Let's go to Hollywood, a little place called Hollywood. The summer is here and it is traditionally the summer blockbuster season. So what better way to kick that off than a brand new film from Marvel Studios? This is the latest installment in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's the new film uh, starring Chris Hemsworth for Love and Thunder. Chris Hemsworth has been doing this character now for 10 years or so, and he is incredible in this role. It's his you know, signature role, I suppose, responsible for his career. And he's back. Back with Taika Waititi directing the film and uh, a lot of returning cast members, Natalie Portman, for the first time in, in a few years back in the MCU. Also, I haven't seen this film yet. I I really like the MCU. I really liked the last uh, Taika Waititi directed for film for Ragnarok. So I'm excited to see uh, what Chris Hemsworth and Taika Waititi have cooked up for us in this new movie. And I couldn't think of a better person to tell us all about it than Amon Warman, probably the uh, the biggest Marvel fan on the Love of Cinema podcast. Over to Amon and Victoria. Kids, get to popcorn now. Let me tell you the story of the space Viking, Thor Odinson. He was no ordinary man. He was a god. Righty, okay, so Taika Waititi and Marvel, how did that go? <laughs> yes, uh, Taika, of course, did Thor Ragnarok back in 2017. And I have what people say is a controversial opinion on that, which we will get to momentarily. But he is back for Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, obviously, Thor is back, played by Chris Hemsworth. If you remember the end of Avengers Endgame, uh, he 
uh, leaves with the Guardians of the Galaxy to go on his own cool adventures with you know that team. And so that's where we find him when this film picks up. He's having a bit of a midlife crisis trying to figure out his purpose in life. Um, and that's not helped by this villain called Gore the God Butcher, who, and this is going to sound crazy, is butchering gods. Um, you, you, you may have got that from the name. I don't know. But, you know, that's what he's doing. Uh, so Thor has to go and handle that. And then making that even more interesting is that Natalie Portman's Jane Foster, who was the ex-girlfriend of Thor, she is now back. And not only is she back, she can wield the mighty Mjolnir, which is Thor's previous weapon, which was supposedly destroyed in Thor Ragnarok. Right now, Jane Foster, a.k.a. the mighty Thor, is wielding it. So it's a bit of a romantic comedy vibe that the film has going for it once that element of the film is introduced. Now, Thor Ragnarok, as much as I enjoyed watching that film, it's not my favorite Thor film. It wasn't my favorite Thor film going into this film because the film for me, it didn't have the weight that it needed to really elevate it. Like there, there are characters cracking jokes when they shouldn't be, in my opinion. And for the first half of this movie, I was worried because I felt like this movie was going down the same avenue. There's some really, really fun stuff in there. It's very, very colorful. The performances by Hemsworth especially and Portman in this are really, really good, but it didn't feel like the weight was there. It felt like they were making a joke out of things that shouldn't be made a joke of. Then the second half of the movie happens. There's a scene which happens on the boat between two characters where the emotion, they play it serious and they play it straight. And that sets the tone for the second half of the movie, which is the best Thor movie that Marvel have done. It is sensational. I loved it. It might be... No, I'm not, I'm not going to say that just yet. I'm not going to say that just yet. Um, but yeah, I, I really, really loved the second half of the movie. It had all of the weight. It had all of the emotion. But it also had the fun and the cleverness that you typically associate with a Taika Waititi film. Right. Yeah, because I think that for me, that, that was what I was curious about. It's just kind of like um, Taika's style, Marvel movie. What are we going to get? Um, but, you know, I think at times, you know, like these um, sort of studio tentpole movies don't get enough credit for the writing. Because at times, even though it's very glossy, sexual, they do trying to deal with some really interesting and universal themes. So what's what's the what's the bottom line of Thor, yeah? Well, love is definitely a theme of the movie. As I say, this is a romantic comedy. Um, and really sort of opening up your heart to that rather than closing it off. That's the major arc that Thor is on. And again, it's really, really heartfelt. The moments with Jane Foster, you know, they have the funny stuff. They, there's a fun montage they do, which is coloring in the backstory of their relationship, which really, really works. And it's really, really funny and enjoyable. Uh, but there's a thing which is happening to Jane um, that is has a really big impact on the story. And if you know the comics that this particular story is based on, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They bring that into the big screen and it's really, really impactful. Um, and that is where, you know, this film has a, has a good chance of make, getting you to whoop and clap and have fun in the cinema watching cool action stuff. Speaking of cool action, Mjolnir, which is the weapon that Jane is wielding, now has the ability to separate itself. Like shards of it will separate from the hammer and then reform. They do that multiple times. It never gets old. It's awesome. And I freaking loved it. Um, but it has 
also the ability to come for your tears as well. And those moments are really, really impactful. The character work when it happens is really, really good. You should probably mention Christian Bale, who plays Gore the God Butcher. I was a little bit worried going into this film that he wouldn't be as menacing as he was in the comics because in the comics he is very menacing and you get the feeling of dread and Thor gets the feeling of dread even as powerful as he is facing this dude because he is that dude. He is that powerful. Um, in the final act of this film, you get to see why Gore is menacing and a little bit scary and a little bit terrifying. And I love that they brought that in. They teased a little bit of it in the trailers in terms of the uh, shadow realm that they go into where everything is dark, save for the uh, colors of the hammers and um, the weapons that they wield in, in that uh, shadow realm. And that is easily the most visually exciting uh, scene of the film as well. So yeah, on the whole, I really, really enjoyed it. I had some issues with the first half, but the second half is one of the best things I've seen in the MCU so far. It's great. I always get worried listening to these reviews before I've seen some of the films. Luckily, I've seen everything on the show apart from uh, the last one, Four Love and Thunder. But uh, but I, I don't think that was spoilery at all. It's just made me more excited to see it. High praise indeed there from from Amon Woman. So yep, I know what I'm doing this weekend as we're recording. Um, it's just before the weekend. Tomorrow, I'm going to go to the cinema and watch Four Love and Thunder. So those are all of our new film reviews. Five films on this pod. Oof. But uh, it wouldn't be the Love of Cinema podcast if we did not ask our guest film critics what's currently on in cinemas that people may have missed that they'd recommend and what are they looking forward to in the future. Uh, we'll get that from Amon and Victoria right now. Oh, it's definitely good luck to you, Leah Grande, with um, Emma Thompson. It's also from Sundance. I mean, Sundance has really done well this year because <laughs> a lot of the films are still <laughs> doing the rounds and cinemas and kind of winning awards every year. But yeah, that would be the top one for me. Um, it's comedy drama. It's quite, um, you know, we talk a lot about inclusion and diversity on screen. I think this is quite an interesting one with an older female lead, but obviously a very brilliant actress and um, and and a very um, female-centric um, team as well that made it. But that's beside the point because the film is actually really good and it's really funny and a very easy watch. Yep, no, that's a good one. For me, it would be Top Gun Maverick. Uh, I've seen it twice. I would go see it twice more. It's so much fun. Uh, it obviously just crossed uh, the billion dollar mark. You're welcome, Tom Cruise. I think that you know at least half of that might have been me. So, you know, you're welcome. It's all good. No worries. You can pay, pay him back on the flip side. Um, but... Yeah, the, the action scenes in that movie are just incredible. Like, you can't tell... There's obviously a CGI element within it, but you can't tell where the practical ends and the CGI begins because it's done so well. Um, and the simplicity of the story is just beautiful uh, because, <laughs> really, they spend the, like three quarters of the movie getting the audience to understand the stakes of this mission and how difficult it is to pull it off. And then they pull it off. <laughs> it's just really, really fun. And you know, Tom Cruise as his character works. The, the nostalgia, if like me, you're a big fan of Top Gun, within the first two seconds of this movie, they really put you back in it because they have the music from the old Top Gun in that sequence. So yeah, I could go on and on about it. If you have not seen Top Gun Maverick yet, do yourself a favor and rectify that because it's a lot of fun. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. But, uh, uh, yeah, you haven't seen it yet? <laughs> But I will. Oh I have a lot of catching up to do for sure. So I will. Uh, I'm definitely going to try and see it. 
But um, so I guess um, what's coming up that's not out yet that we should look out for from you? For me, I really want to go see Nope, which is Jordan Peele's uh, newest movie. And typically, I'm not the guy who says, I really want to go and watch a movie that's probably going to scare my pants off because I don't, I'm, I'm not the horror dude. I, I'm the guy who gets scared at anything um, and get out and, you know, uh, what was it? Us really sort of had moments that freaked me out. And this is probably going to freak me out, but Jordan Peele is the one dude who can get me into cinema for a horror movie because he's so smart and there's so much interesting subtext with every film he does. And I can't wait to hear and see what he's going to say with this one. It's also him reuniting with Daniel Kaluuya. Obviously, his performance in Get Out, you know, already sort of, you know, elevated what was a really good career into the stratosphere and was the start of this ridiculous run that he's been on ever since. Um, so I'm excited to see that. Kiki Palmer is an actress I really enjoy watching on screen. Stephen Yeun, another actor I really enjoy. He's in this film. So all of those elements, plus Jordan Peele, sign me up. So basically, if I start starring my tea right now, I'm going to freak you out. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Mean. But what are you looking forward to that is not yet out? I'm looking forward to The Woman King. I, 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 yes. I, I don't know what I'm looking forward to. I'm curious, you know. Because um, obviously... It is a true story, or rather it's based on the Dahomey Warriors, which were like an actual female um, um, regiment in Benin. Um, and of course, that regiment was put together because there were not enough men to form the army because a lot of them had been sold into slavery. So it is a piece of really serious African history. It's great to see an African story being given the platform that it's been given, because usually when we have this much buzz about a, a, an African story from... Um, the studios is always a fake African country, Zamunda, Wakanda, whatnot. So now we're dealing with like a piece of real history here and some really, really amazing women. So there's a part of me that's curious, I'm excited, but I'm also slightly fearful, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Why fearful? Because I don't know what's been done to it, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm a big fan of history as well, and I like authenticity in the historical dramas, and I know this is cinema and it's entertainment. I mean, it's interesting watching the cast that they've assembled is quite... I guess the Pan-African dream, but I'm I'm curious to see whether it does as well as Fake Africa. That's interesting. I I I am nothing but excited for that movie. Um, you know, Gina Prince Bythewood. I'm such a huge fan of. Love and Basketball is a fantastic film. Beyond the Lights is a fantastic film, and the cast, as you say, that she's assembled for this. Viola Davis is an actor at the very height of her powers right now, and then you put Lashana Lynch, Sheila Atim, Tuzo Mbedu. Adrienne Warren, like I could just go down the list of like, wow, she's amazing. Wow, she's amazing. And to have this many dark-skinned women in one film, in the same army, acting, fighting as one, it's unheard of. It's special. It's one of a kind. And, you know, again, you know, I, I helped, as I said, with Tom Cruise getting that over the billion dollar hump. I will help Gina Prince Bidewood and get this one over the billion dollar hump as well. Because from the first trailer that I've seen today, this film will deserve all the money and I will be happy to give it to him. Oh yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely exciting. I would have also loved to see a woman from Benin there, you know, somebody from actual Dahomey. Um, but again, like you said, because of what it represents, there's, I'm sure there's also like a massive expectation 
and a burden of representation here. But um, yeah, I hope it does well because then it also opens up the the doors for more um stories, African history to be seen as something that could be a period drama, you know, and it's not just about the Queen and Windsor. <laughs> Ready, so where can people find you online? I am everywhere online, always watching, always posting. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at Amon Warman. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's where I post most of my stuff, including uh, the Fade to Black podcast, uh, which is a podcast that I do every week with Clarice Lockery and Hannah Flint, two amazing women you should be following individually in their own right because they are that good. Speaking of the Fade to Black podcast, we are doing our very first live podcast at the London Podcast Festival, uh, September 15th. It's a, it's a Thursday. It's at seven o'clock. You can book your tickets right now we are so excited to see so many of you there uh, i'm also listening to all of that uh, on episodes of the empire podcast which is a lot of fun and the empire spoiler special podcast a feed which you should definitely be subscribing to uh but enough about me victoria where can the good people find you online? So um, I'm, I'm not always on social media. I definitely have a presence on both Instagram and Twitter. It's the same um, handle, the CEO. Um, not very active at the moment because I'm in production, finishing off a documentary on French hip hop. Um, so hopefully, yeah, I should be back. And I'm also promoting, I've got a short film that's out at the moment as well, which I believe is going to be at Rich Mix Cinema with Weir Parable as part of the Love Letters to Cinema in a couple of weeks. And that's doing the festival around to the moment. So yeah. I wanna I wanna change my pick. It's not nope. I wanna see whatever Victoria is working on. That's what I wanna see coming up. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> well that just about brings us to the end of another episode of The Love of Cinema. Thank you so much to guest film critics Victoria Thomas and Amon Warman for joining us this month. Five movies, can't get over that. <laughs> <laughs> also big thank you to Jim Archer director Jim Archer for joining us to talk about Brian and Charles say this film is so charming please 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 go uh, and watch that if you know my voice in the podcast world you may know that I also make a show called 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest and, uh, and I, I love films that are under 90 minutes I find it fascinating the runtime of movies which is a real either a conversation starter or a conversation killer depending on your own personal preferences but Brian and Charles is 90 minutes long and I think we should celebrate the 90 minute movie so if you if you have a penchant for shorter films do check that one out this podcast was made possible by Kia proud supporters of independent cinema and was produced by Kobe Omanaka and Stripped Media the podcast was edited by Maddie Searle and hosted by me Sam Clements please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you're a regular listener, or if you're not and you'd like to be a regular listener, please make sure you're subscribed or you're following the podcast on your platform of choice also, so you never miss an episode. We do these monthly roundups where we talk about the, the, the best new films for a given month, but in between, sometimes we might have a visiting filmmaker to one of our cinemas, and I love nothing more than sticking a microphone in front of their face and, and having a natter with them. So if you subscribe, you get the episodes in between with, with filmmakers and actors and, and, and sometimes a bonus episode. We're working on a mid-year bonus episode right now, which will drop later in July. So keep an eye out for that. 
Thank you for making it this far into the podcast. Thank you for listening to the credits. We'll be back next month. Have a great time at the cinema, whatever you watch. And hey, if you go to the movies, tell us. Tweet us at Picture Houses. Post on Instagram at Picture Houses. Find us on Facebook at Picture Houses. That's enough from me. Enjoy the movies, and I'll see you next month. Goodbye. Goodbye.